0: www.bottlenecktobreakthrough.com. We don't do this too often, but we're going to do a replay of our episode featuring Eleanor Beaton, world renowned business coach. She has so much wisdom to offer that it's, it behooves us to bring it back to your attention. So I hope you enjoy this episode once again.
1: This is the real bottom line where we tell entrepreneurial stories about true grit and perseverance from frontline
0: business owners themselves. Now let's get started. Hello, and welcome to The Real Bottom Line. Today, my special guest is Eleanor Beaton, CEO and founder of Safi Media. Welcome, Eleanor. Hey, it's so great to be here so excited to have you. Um, This is an entrepreneur. This is a podcast for entrepreneurs and you are an entrepreneur extraordinaire. So I (laughs) am so looking for hearing about your journey. Did you always think that you would be the CEO of a seven figure business?
1: No, I thought I was going to be an investment banker slash supermodel when I was growing up. I think we may have discussed this. So I'm six feet tall. I was always like super tall, gangly and skinny And I grew up in the age of the supermodel, Mm -hmm. like Naomi Campbell, Linda Evangelista, I would look at them and I was like, I am currently tall and scrawny. Maybe I too can be a supermodel one day. So they were like, you know, when I was growing up, people didn't want to be actresses. They wanted to be supermodels. So there was that. And then my big role model in life was my aunt Linda Davis, who um, was a very successful investment banker turned financial thriller writer. Um, and so she really kind of paved the way for, you know, what's possible when you have financial independence, what Mm -hmm. a badass leader looks like. So that's what I wanted to be. When I was growing up, I had no aspirations to be an entrepreneur.
0: Isn't that funny? So I think you, uh, George Michael just obviously forgot to call you for the freedom video, but otherwise he did.
1: Yeah, he did. And my, and I was 14. I might, I had no, I would not have gotten permission, but I felt like that was the kind of thing that I was destined to do
0: absolutely without a total error <laughs> but you're just spreading your beauty in other ways as an author that's right that's right exactly <laughs> how did you get to where you are like were you did you ever have a real job
1: yes so i was a journalist um, i worked in advertising and i worked in pr and so at the beginning of my career it was all in the area of like communication and you know entrepreneurship came to me through my mom and my husband. So when I was, you know, first embarking on my career, I can remember my mom coming to visit me in Toronto and she was urging me and encouraging me to think about choosing careers where I would be able to combine ambition with family life. Wow. And, you know, after Cheryl Sandberg wrote her book, Lean In, She basically kind of discouraged that kind of thing. She said that she felt that women were leaning out, you know, of the workforce Mm. too soon. We were making too many plans around our ambition that we should just lean into our ambition. My mom encouraged me to think about, Hey, if you want to have a very full life, you want to think about what a career looks like that allows you to put those two together. And, and so I always had that in my mind. And as I was working different jobs, I, I was also Like worked as a communications, um, kind of uh, a communications specialist inside a big company. I thought about that and I was like, I don't know if I could combine this with a job, (laughs) you know, with a family life, with a full life. I have to like be here from this time to this time. Um, And then it was really my husband who was raised on a farm. Most of he's the youngest of seven. Most of his siblings were entrepreneurs. He encouraged me. Mm. to think about how I could take the skills that I had as a writer and a communicator and create my own thing out of them. And so that's what I did.
0: I actually love that your mother- brought that up. I say that to I talk to business owners all the time or people who are contemplating business ownership and I say please don't do what I did build your business and then wonder where your life went. I'm like build your life decide what you want your life to be like and if it means that you want August off build a business around that.
1: Yeah. yeah. It's so and I think it like and and I think that um, so much of how we look at the world of work is still based around sort of the industrial age. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so much different now, but we we don't sometimes exercise the freedom that we have as entrepreneurs.
0: I feel uh, I feel the tug and pull of that all the time, Eleanor. So I I look at as entrepreneurs, we are in a results driven economy. Whereas when we were working for others, we were rewarded for time and effort. And to make that shift in our mind is super duper hard for a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, cause they have to be the example for all their employees, et cetera, et cetera. So I have to work more hours. Did you start that way? And did you manage to get out of that? And how did you do it?
1: Yeah, I totally started that way. So my first business was a communications consulting business. And so I, um, I, I, Created And it was everything from like copywriting. I did long form copywriting. I ghost wrote books. I developed crisis communication strategies. I did communications consulting and training, like everything that had to do with communicating. Mm -hmm. And that was my first business. And um, I sold myself. I didn't understand that I was in the professional development business. So I had like a a group of contractors who did other specialized things that I would call on to take on bigger projects and I grew that company through taking on bigger projects, but I never systematized or productized my expertise. Mm-hmm. I would could never find somebody who could do it as good as I thought I could, you know. And certainly the idea of even training up somebody felt like a massive waste of time to me. So I was very much stuck in a very limited business model well,
0: and time.
1: I was selling time and you can make good money doing that. But the problem comes when eventually the thing that you love to do becomes like a prison and a burden, mm-hmm. you're burnt out and tired and you have no real way out of it. And that's how I, I started sort of realizing that I had come to the end of my career
0: Mm. doing
1: this. um, But I still wasn't sure where to go next.
0: So true Um, for people who follow you, Eleanor, the power presence and position podcast. um, Very good listening. Uh, I highly recommend the interesting piece on that side is I've followed your journey there. And I feel like you've made your uh, life in business a lab. And you are the research subject. And so I, can, I, I said to you in the green room, I think you're the Tim Ferris of women's leadership coaching. <laughs> and that you're all, a lot of the lessons are things that you've gone through, tried and true, and then come up with a, a, a better way. Yeah. If I'm saying that right. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Well, it's like, if you think about, um, and it's kind of what I stand for and what our company stands for and represents. So if you think about the world of entrepreneurship and business and leadership, it's dominated by male voices Mm -hmm. and it's dominated by male voices who position themselves largely as the guru and do what I say, you know? And, um, and so for women founders and entrepreneurs, um, I didn't want that. You know, I felt as though I was a part of a movement, you know, part of a movement for the last, you know, decade, women have been starting businesses at um, a really fast rate, anywhere from two to five times the national average, depending on who you are talking to. And um, I uh, never felt that I wanted to position myself as this guru.
0: Mm -hmm. I think
1: people have done that to women for so long, you know, to lots of people, but especially to women. And I really felt that if you're going to work with people, they have to be able to retain their sovereignty when they're working with you. So I've always really put myself in the community, you know, that we support I'm anchored there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I would say, I would say that's correct. Like as we find better ways to do things, um, we do that but at the heart of, you know, what we, and I, I also think at the beginning of a path of selling knowledge, you're often, you know, that knowledge is you're on a steep learning curve. And so what you're teaching changes, Mm -hmm. then you get to this place where, um, it's a different level of mastery and what you teach really kind of stays. There's more consistency there over time, you know, like you're not changing. Yeah. As much. And so
0: there's no need to pivot because you're, you've, You've eliminated a bunch of variables. and You
1: found your place. Yeah, yeah. You found your place in the ecosystem. Yeah.
0: Sweet spot. Um, how have your boundaries and non-negotiables changed over the last three to five years?
1: Oh, that's such a good question. So I um, was really willing to travel. I really traveled a lot for a, like a four-year period uh, in my business. So I'm based in Nova Scotia on the East coast of Canada The vast majority of our clients are from everywhere else, basically. And I uh, did a ton of traveling and um, felt that I needed to, Mm -hmm. in order to be able to build the kinds of relationships that I wanted to build, get into the kinds of rooms that I wanted to get into, have the impact and reach. And then um, I was getting tired of it though, you know, and uh, COVID hit and um, that just completely stopped all of my traveling Mm -hmm. and I loved it. Yeah. I truly loved it. And, you know, like I'm going on a trip at the end of this month and it's the first business trip I've been on in forever. Like I have not been on a business trip in two years, mm-hmm. over two years.
0: Yep.
1: So I think that that, um, that is a new non-negotiable. Like I just won't travel um, in that same way. So that's like a non-negotiable. The other kind of non-negotiable is I'm really not going to create something unless I feel it's going to be a million dollar revenue stream. And that's a big difference too. Yeah, like I um, and that's kind of what I was talking about earlier, like once you get you get to this level of maturity where you see the things that you have, they work really effectively. And so it's not that I won't experiment. Like I'll totally try, like I'm okay with experimentation, but I really see now what's involved. Like I have much stronger sense of product creation and, and development. And I'm not really going to take attention away from the core things that we do, mm-hmm. unless I feel there's a significant opportunity. So I would say that's another actual boundary that, um, is kind of a big change that has happened over the last three years.
0: Uh, it, um, it sounds really yeah. big. It sounds like any yeah. level of, yeah. of decision-making there. Um, yeah. Yeah. What is the opportunity filter? What are you, what is the, what are the characteristics of a million dollar idea?
1: Well, for me, the first is that it needs to um, advance our vision and mission. Mm-hmm. So the, our, the vision of Safi Media is to advance global gender equity and a model of economic growth um, mm-hmm. that actually nourishes the planet one woman owned to business at a time. So this right. is all about sustainable growth, you mm-hmm. know, and that lens. Yep. Our mission is to double the number of female founders who scale past a million uh, by 2030. Mm-hmm. So through business education, entrepreneurship, education, business coaching, and storytelling. So that's like filter number one, yeah, <laughs> you know, so like, like filter number like one is
0: fulfill the mission and the vision.
1: 100%. Yeah. And so we know, you know, like we have really focused over the last three years to really focusing exclusively on core, a couple of core offerings that serve the women's, you know, female founders who are scaling service-based businesses. So when I look at opportunities, I look at that that ecosystem, like, is, is this something for this group? Mm-hmm. Um, and if not, is it something that is is for another part of that ecosystem, for policymakers, for corporate, like whatever? But yeah, like that's a huge one. Is it mission driven? You know, is going to be, the second thing that I ask myself is, is it, um, how scalable is this?
0: Yeah
1: you know, that's like, and obviously if we want it to scale to a million, I, I do ask myself that question, is it going to be fun?
0: <laughs>
1: and does this take advantage of the real, um, of our genius? Mm. So is it, could this easily be done? Is there somebody else who should do this? And this is something that we don't think about enough. You know, like I remember mm. when I started out, I was just creating products. I didn't care who was out there doing it. Like to, I wasn't even, I wasn't even paying attention. It's not that I didn't yep. care. I didn't, think about it now, I'm much more like who else is doing this? Um, is this what we really should be doing? Or is there our own piece of this that we could take and really contribute, you know, here, or if, am I creating something that looks like what everybody else has? So I'm just taking resources away. Like I never used to think about that, but I do now because, you know, um, because I guess the other thing is now, you know, one big shift is that I, Initially, as I was building my business, I was much more sort of focused on my effort Mm. and going it alone. (laughs) You know, even when I started designing a more scalable business, now I am, you know, a big part of the personal development work that I have had to do has been around being willing to be vulnerable, to partner with other people, to connect Mm. with other people in the right way. Like you're probably never gonna see me with a business partner other than my husband, but never say never, but you know, but to be able to collaborate to, you know, in in a smart way, yeah. yeah.
0: It's interesting. Some of the studying I do is all about um, collaboration Looking at your competitors as potential collaborators, uh, and, and yeah. changing the, it's changing your mindset. And I guess it's a little bit blue ocean versus red ocean, all those yeah studies. Um, one of the things that you've talked about, just re- uh, and I think um, some of the things you've been talking about lately, and I feel that you've touched upon it here, is CEO time. And so mm-hmm. your role has somewhat evolved because now you're almost finding ways to not be involved in the product other than the creation and mm-hmm. maybe providing mm-hmm. obviously zone genius. However, mm-hmm. it feels like you're like, how can I create this? Have others do it? Or maybe mm-hmm. I've got that wrong, but I feel like your role yeah. as the CEO has evolved. Can you comment on that?
1: Yeah, it totally has. And so in the beginning, you know, you're kind of doing everything as I think you should be. You know, Mm -hmm. I always saw some people will say, oh, you know, I'm a visionary. Um, I'm not a manager. I'm like, no, I'm 100% um, visionary and manager. (laughs) Like I love the details of a business. And I think the devil is in the details and Mm -hmm. God is in the details, like where the things fit together. That's often where it meets your client's experience. And, um, and I really think about that, you Mm -hmm. know, um, And my team, you know, will kind of joke with me sometimes, but because I will be like on things. (laughs) And so it's not micromanaging, but I'll notice if I think if my instincts are that something is starting to happen, I'll bring it up. And, you know, they'll kind of joke with me about, is this really a problem? And I will be like, you know, in my mind, the way that I think about it is if the Ritz Hotel allowed its customers to spot the problems before it did, it wouldn't be the Ritz You know, like a part of what you're doing is deciding what the standard is and, and trying, and that doesn't happen overnight, you know, like that happens through experience. And so, um, but to your point, like, so that you know, I'm very detail oriented, always have been and very detailed in terms of building up the programs, knowing that it's all in the details. And so really being focused on that, creating systems to make sure that I'm being clear about what I expect and, and that other people can then go and take that. And they add their genius and elevate it and all of that. But, um, so to me, there's going to be a difference between how I do this and how others do this. So Mm -hmm. when someone comes to invest In the type of work that we do. It's often because they have been attracted to a point of view um, that I embody. And so it's really important to me to remain close like to understand in the delivery of our product yes. of our offerings where are those high value touch points that are essential for me to be a part of yeah. So it's never been like I kind of create it and then other people do it. Um, there's lots of businesses where that would be the case and there could be people who do what I do where they decide that that's how they want it but from my perspective it's it's important to me that so we've identified hey here are these places where I need to be a part of this. It's very high value for for our clients, our customer experience, and also for me personally. So I would say that, however, definitely getting out of a lot more day-to-day operations, um, making room for people to step up and grow and blossom. And that's like the the fun thing about creating a business. You create a world where people can contribute the best of who they are and become something that they weren't you know what I mean? You, you create with them a world mm-hmm. that is nurturing and healthy. It's not perfect, you know, but it's this incredible thing. And so, yeah, I've stepped back a lot. So for instance, I have 30% CEO open time yeah. every week. And then the first week of every month, I am out of day-to-day operations and working on, so I'm still working. It just looks a lot different.
0: It feels like it allows you to, um, be in a good head space. Cause sometimes I find, as soon as you slow down, as soon as you go to coffee by yourself, it's almost yeah. like you open the floodgates to all ideas and the, any energy. Totally.
1: Yeah, I know. Right. And it's, yeah. And it's like, what makes it so much fun? And it's what, um, you know, and, and the thing is too, you know, that I, as I have found, especially like the work that we do, it's complex, like you're in there with people and their businesses. Um, You're really in there with them as you can relate to it, you know? So you're totally in there. It's complex and it takes a lot. And so um, what can happen is that it takes more energy than you realize. And if you are spending a lot of your time there as a leader, you don't have the bandwidth or capacity to take care of the business and the team, Like just take care of the business as a whole (coughs) and grow it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like take it to the next. So it was just, but, you know, I've tried to do it too early. Oh, like I've tried to do that before. Mm -hmm. Um, not realizing how important it is for the founder to be involved in the creation of systems. Mm -hmm. I try, used to try to have other people help me create the systems and that didn't work.
0: Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Your business is making a profit, you're growing, but you may still feel like you don't fully have a grasp on how to make the best use of this success. Don't worry, you're not alone. Hi, I'm Wendy Brookhouse, creator of the Total Wealth Accelerator and host of this podcast. I've developed a quick and easy tool that will give you a detailed snapshot of where you're currently at in your business and wealth growth and how you can improve upon it. It's called your financial diagnostic score, It's completely free and you'll instantly get the results. So head over to TotalWealthScore.com right now and see where you can focus to grow your wealth. Here's something uh, I want to ask you is, it feels like you have an incredible amount of focus right now. Have you ever been a squirrel or shiny blingy thing person and you had to learn how to focus or have you always been a focuser?
1: I would say, um, not to brag, but I would (laughs)
0: say that I I find focusing easier than some people
1: um, where sometimes I'm like, I do not know what is up with you right now. So I generally am like a relatively focused person. However, I think, um, I definitely think that part of my development, there were parts of my development as an entrepreneur when I didn't trust myself. um, And I thought that other people had the answers (laughs) and I didn't realize, you know, and that was, and Like I I thought that other people had answers that I didn't have. And Mm -hmm. I thought if I just did it their way, Mm. you know, really not. And and it's, and it's how so much of entrepreneurship education is set up. You have to do it this way. Um, Like here's the step-by-step process. And so what happens is you take the sovereignty away from the founder and they're never happy with what they built, Right. you know? And then the other side of this is that there's no direction.
0: And when you say happy, it it felt like you meant like, it's like, it doesn't fit because I didn't do it my way. I'm like this square pig in a round hole trying to get rounder. Yeah.
1: And it just, it's so, it's not satisfying, you know, it's just not satisfying. So there were times then when I, um, I didn't understand how important certain, certain infrastructural pieces were And so what would happen is that I would try out these different tactics um, and the tactics became a substitute for the, for the infrastructure, you know? So for example, one, yeah. So for instance, um, I think it's really critical for a business to have a really effective selling system. Mm -hmm. And a lot of businesses don't actually have a very clear one. It's not clear. And so they lose out on a lot of sales or opportunity to generate revenue. Their marketing isn't effective because they don't ultimately understand what they're driving toward.
0: Mm. So
1: that is, you know, and the key there is that you have one and that it works for your company. Right. Right. And so what yeah. would happen to me is that at that earlier on, I would just try these different tactical Oh, it has to be a webinar. Oh, in my industry, oh, it has to be a a live five day Facebook challenge or whatever it was. So the tactics substituted the um you know the the sort of infrastructure. And so once I saw that, mm-hmm. you know, because my zone of genius really is taking things in and seeing the patterns and then communicating those patterns to other people. Mm-hmm. That's what I've always done, and so that allowed for that level of focus, but anybody who works with me, like my team, they, um, like I, we really are very focused. It's really something that I really prize. I feel like we live in an age of distraction and Mm -hmm. the more focused and on purpose we can be, you know, um, we can be an example of, of what that looks like that hopefully inspires people to do it in their way
0: and what the benefits are. Yeah, if you, totally. If there's no one else has a. There's no one else role modeling this. How do we know that? Oh my gosh, if I do this the way I is works for me, and I have a system, man, I can have thirty percent CEO time too. <laughs> yes, exactly, and that's the thing, right? Like, a hundred percent. I think it's, and that comes from
1: constraint. Mm. you know, and, and this is such a huge thing. Entrepreneurs, like we constantly underestimate how much time everything takes, you know, and I see people constantly creating new products and offerings when they haven't maximized the ones that they have.
0: Mm-hmm. And so
1: they forfeit the, the, all of the, the real profit, they yeah. just forfeit it because they can't control their own need. But here's the other thing. And we talked about like growth, right? See, cause what I have found happens that is, you know, has been so important for me to kind of see and realize is the more everything starts to work, the less you need to do it. And when you don't need to do it anymore, you're, you have to challenge yourself to really understand how you add value. Hmm. So I'll give you an example. Like, so for me, it could be like, I've done everything in my business you know Mm -hmm. i have coached i've created programs i've done all of this and i can remember like so for instance hiring coaches um one-on-one coaches to work with our clients and they're amazing coaches and they would um, be working with clients and there would be this growth and transformation and i missed that you know and i and and i had to um realize no your job you have created this world and your job is to continue strengthening and growing this world. Um, this, if it's not your job to do this anymore, you know, and, and that can create this. If you don't do the personal development around that, you'll start finding ways to go back and be busy again, because that's how you value your contribution.
0: Well, that's when, you know, you're actually working is when you're really busy, Eleanor. Yeah, exactly. You're making, you're making me think of this Jim Rohn CD. It was in Success Magazine. Do you remember when they used to have CDs in the Success Magazine? Yes, yes. And uh-huh. he, yeah, we're dating ourselves. The um, the yeah. one I remember the most, and I think what you just described is: Are you adding to or compounding? And the thought process Ooh. being is, if I'm adding to, I would have maybe five more assistants that can strip a few yes. things away from me so I can handle more people versus compounding. I'm making more me's. Yeah. So it feels like you've m- m- moved into from mm. adding to, to compounding.
1: Yeah. Yes, totally. Totally. And uh, totally that. And just to kind of, you know, I, I wouldn't, and I know what he meant by that. Um, but I, they're, they're so unique in their own way. You know what I I mean? They totally bring their own thing. Yeah. But yeah, exactly. That's, that is, I think what it is.
0: Absolutely. Okay. So uh, I want to talk a little bit about niching because you have let's do it. niched and niched and niched. Uh-huh. And I feel like it's a double ended sword. There's some, so there's some <laughs> bliss and there's some pain. Let's talk about the pain <laughs> of niching first. Yeah. Let's talk about Maybe it. Define it first for us. Define niching and tell me about the pain.
1: Yeah. So niching is really um making powerful choices around who you'll serve, what you stand for, and the specific practical problem that you solve for them. And so it's basically choosing um the part of your market that you are going to occupy and really specialize in. And um a lot of people get hung up because they think they need to have a niche at the very beginning of their business. And you don't really, you know, Mm -hmm. you can start, like, you could be a financial advisor and work with all kinds of different people. When I started coaching, I coached a lot of different people. When I did communications consulting, I worked with a lot of different people, but where it really comes down to is if you want to begin scaling and this is, and by scaling, what I mean is that your revenues grow disproportionately to your expenses. Mm-hmm. And your um impact grows disproportionately to the amount of time that you put in. So it's disproportionate growth, unreasonable growth, you know. And so that's where um, and and the thing that takes away from that growth, both from the growth itself and also your desire as the founder to do it is complexity. Mm-hmm. So I had, so that's what niching is. And you know, the the bad part of it is that it can, what happens is that you can cut off lucrative segments of a market, you know? So that's what I did. And when I initially started this business, I was working with women leaders who worked in corporate and also founders. Their practical problems. Remember, cause Anish is like having a practical problem. So we were the same demographics. We could all go out for a glass of wine and have plenty to talk about. We would read the same books watch the same, same age, same number of kids, have the cottage, all of that kind of stuff. But practically the founders were struggling with things that were completely different than what women in corporate were. And so I can remember this was when I was traveling and super busy. And I was like, I need to have a second podcast. (laughs) So I'll separate the podcast. and, And that's when I was like, no, we're not doing this. And so I ended up cutting off a huge part of my revenue. They were like 60% of my audience and 40% of my revenue. Like so, well, I, I did it, I just snip, it was done.
0: So you, you just and, ripped the bandaid yeah,
1: right off. I did, cause that's um, that's how I did things back then. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? I just was like, no, we're doing this like super decisive about it. But I felt, you know, and I'd known that I needed to do it for a while but I felt like I was really letting people down I was really afraid to turn away that money.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: I wasn't sure it was going to work. Um, I just wasn't sure, you know, I mitigated it because I had a cash reserve, but I wasn't sure that it was going to work. And I knew that this was like a type one decision. You know, Bezos has this type one, type two decisions. This was like a type one decision there. It's hard to go back. You could, but it's a little hard, like once you make the choice. So all of those things made it so much harder, but it wasn't until that happened that we could really bring the focus, the systems, Mm -hmm. that I could really start scaling because we were so focused.
0: Can you think of the top two things that were going on outside of travel maybe that made you decide you should. So you were, it felt like with another podcast that you were like really duplicating efforts in different ways. What else did Mm -hmm. you notice that made the, that said it's time to make this decision?
1: I felt that when people heard what I talked about, um, when they, you know, went to talks or saw my, or saw my, you know, uh, educational materials or marketing materials, they were fascinated, they were intrigued, but they didn't feel compelled to buy. Mm. And, um, and I felt like I was just working too hard for that. And I think, you know, ultimately what happened was I was able to build an audience, but, there's a section of your marketing where you are really speaking to people very specifically. And you're not doing this with all of your marketing, but with a section of your marketing, you're talking to people very specifically about your educated, you're talking about the specific problems that you're going to address and you are educating people around the specific solution that you provide. And that's where you start to work with that audience of people and they get to select if they want to work with you. And I felt like that was not happening effectively because Mm -hmm. I was kind of all over the map, you know? And so that was one thing I felt that I just felt like selling was harder than it should be. Okay. And that we were not quite getting the caliber um, of qualified leads. And when I say caliber, it's not that people were sub-caliber people, it's that they, they seemed to be a little confused about what I did.
0: So because you were serving for lack of a better word, a couple of masters, your message yes. wasn't as clear as it could be. If you only served exactly, one.
1: exactly did you decide on the entrepreneurs, exactly. um, math. So, so <laughs> what I did, it was math. I sat down. And I looked at every single transaction and client in the previous two years. Mm -hmm. Literally, I went through my calendar and I went, I listed every single client. I listed what did they come to me for? How much did they pay? And what I saw was that there was a section of founders who were investing five, seven times what the other group was. And so it became very clear that a great way to grow the business would be to focus on these exact specific people. So that's what I did. It was math based.
0: So math is one of my favorite M words. Um
1: Listen, and, I know. Same
0: numbers. So yeah. one of the other things I'd like to talk about is I love that you talk about profit. I feel like yeah. I've talked to a few God. um uh, accountants and other people, and they're like, you know, the top line is a vanity number. Yeah. The bottom line is where the action's at. And so you zeroed in on that and you've set goals around that. Tell me a little bit about that process. How did you arrive at that?
1: Yeah. Came to you in a dream one night. (laughs) Yeah. So I, so basically here's what happened. I was at a, um, a conference and I've been a business journalist for, for, I had been a business journalist for years and been around the scene and saw, you know, at at the same time, you see the rise of women entrepreneurs. And it's like the types of businesses that we're building are very different. I was, um, I went and attended this tech conference and I was talking to, and this was so interesting. Like they kept using the term startup and by startup, they were just talking about a business basically, but there had to be certain things in order for it to be a startup. And I was like, this is so weird. You know, it was just kind of an entrance to a different culture, and then, and then I was talking to a guy, right? <laughs> exactly. And I, my business, I was a way more successful entrepreneur than he was, but he'd been able to get all this money, zero cash flow, ended up going nowhere with his business, and but he, you know what I mean? He was going to be a unicorn, right? And he was treated so differently than I was, a dream business, and I get venture, like I get that industry. Mm-hmm. I get that um, in that industry, 80% of the bets you take are going to fail. Yep. And I understand. And I'm also like, but is that really a good, is that really how we want to do things? You know, And is that really how we measure an effective business? Mm-hmm. Because I started looking around at all the founders like you and me, stable entrepreneurial businesses that generate an incredible tax base that really um, have diverse supply chains, um, support local economies, do a tremendous job. I was like, this is, the, you know, so you have these unicorns and what makes it cool and what help, what gives them their status is that they can say they're going to have a billion dollar valuation. And then they look at our businesses and they're just like, it's a lifestyle business. And so I'm like, so we've got a branding issue, you know? And what we name things is so critical, you know? And so I was like, well, we're not trying to build a unicorn, we're trying to build a jewel business and i thought about the women that i had worked with and the three metrics of success which were able to the ability to have impact the ability to have freedom and the ability to have cash and also how you know in so much entrepreneurial culture there's so much focus on massive growth and so i was like a lot of times if you articulate a direction that creates openness and opportunity. And so that's really where it came from. So if you think about 30% profitability, mm-hmm. that's a great number because it allows the company to be able to invest in growth from its own internally generated cash flow.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know? So it's a great number to look at. They're not all, you're not always going to get it. There's going to be some years where because you take that 30% and reinvest it, it doesn't actually end up at that. Yeah, But it's a really good way to look at you know, um, how do you fund the growth of your business? Because a lot of times entrepreneurs oddly forget that it's not their sweat and grit that fuels business growth, it's money.
0: Well, and you can grow too big too fast if you're not careful with your money as well, depending on what you're doing. Um, Yeah, I do love that. And I also think that sometimes as founders, we forget that yes, we want to have impact in our audience and be in our zone of genius. But at the end of the day, a business is there to fund our life. And we sometimes forget about all of that and then end up not paying ourselves because we're putting it all back in the business and we're not looking at the big picture.
1: Yeah. And please, there were years, like when I, there were, there were, there have been years in my business, especially when I was grinding and building (laughs) it. I really didn't pay myself very much at all, you know, and I really made the bet that, um, that I was going to bet on myself to quote the great Fred Van Vliet, Toronto Raptor, um, second greatest Raptor of all time, um, that that I was going to bet on myself and I was going to, um, reduce my needs. I would only take what I needed from the business and reinvest everything back. The problem is when that happens, I think in a couple of different ways, if you're going to do that, you have to be so aware that you're doing it. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: You know, you have to have a plan to get out of it and, um, and it can't go on forever. Yeah. You know, and that's yeah,
0: I think you've made it that that's such a great way of looking at it. It's just not to fall into the habit because then I think sometimes, uh, being aware of hey, if I invest this in my business, does it have the best rate of return at this point? Yeah, right, because sometimes we just invest exactly something,
1: yeah, exactly for no, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, profit is important, profit is important. And because, and that's kind of core to my, one of my core values of our business and myself personally is sufficiency, mm-hmm. which is more than enough, yep. you know, and that's where this other aspect, which is 30% or more year over year growth until such time as the founder wants to accelerate or decelerate. And so for a lot of businesses, they might be like, oh, wow, that's tons of growth for others. They might be like, it's hardly anything, but remember we're working with founders who really want to scale.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so there's a lot of people who have this expectation of like 100% like doubling their revenue year after year and just all of this kind of BS. And I was like, look, you know, that's again. Um, contrib- there's two factors that contribute to that in our in entrepreneurial culture. I think online marketing industry and um, Silicon Valley that are looking for massive growth rates. But I remember as a business journalist, I remember I interviewed the founders of the fastest growing companies in this country and the horror stories the horror stories, the marital breakdowns, the panic attacks, the massive stress, the health issues, like heart attacks, you know, yep. brutal stuff that nobody talks about, but that happens under that incredible duress.
0: I think it goes back a little bit to, um, your conversation, your, you know, how it is about everybody's individual, but I do think yeah. understanding in terms of sufficiency, how much is enough? Like, how much do yeah. you need to do to fund your life? How much do you need to do yes. to do this? Um, it, that's what comes back to my love of making sure you have the right metrics and that you're measuring the right thing, so that you know when you get there, yeah, and not be influenced by outside carefully curated social media posts.
1: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> totally agreed.
0: Oh, awesome! Well, Eleanor, uh,
1: how do people get a hold of you? Well, I think if, um, if you're listening to this podcast and our podcast listener, I would check out the power presence position podcast, and you can find me on my personal website, which is eleanorbeaton.com.
0: Thank you so much for your time, Eleanor. Uh, I think that today the real bottom line is growth is about sufficiency and it's about making sure it matches you.
1: Yes. I could not agree more.
0: Wow, there was just so much learning in this episode. Do you want more? I have a special offer for The Right Entrepreneur, a complimentary one-on-one coaching session that is all about you, your business, and your goals, so that you can accelerate your business and start to accelerate the growth of your net worth. Head over to wealthcoachwithwendy.com. There you will find a letter that kind of outlines all the details of this offer and also an application form. We have an application form because there's such a limited number of of slots that we're opening up for this, that we want to make sure that the people that, um, uh, do are successful in getting the slot. We can make the biggest difference with. So head over to wealthcoachingwithwendy.com and apply today. Thanks.